two is the only even prime number. An odd fact to point out on this February 22nd, 2022. We are 20 days past the predictions of large rodents and less than a month away from the spring equinox. Time does move fast, but we're still only 14.5% of the way through the year. Oh, the things you'll learn in every installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. And I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. On today's program, Albemarle County supervisors discuss incentives for developers to build housing units below market rate. Midway Manor may have a new future in which part of the downtown Charlottesville property will remain age and income restricted. A roundup of planning for other affordable housing projects in Charlottesville. Albemarle County wants state regulators to require CenturyLink's successor to maintain old copper telephone lines. And Charlottesville wants the public to get a Zoning 101. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, when you think of romance, you might not immediately think of energy efficiency, but the folks at Leap think keeping your family comfortable at home is a great way to show you care during the month of love. Your local energy nonprofit wants to make sure you are getting the most out of your home all year round, and Leap offers free home weatherization to income and age-qualifying residents. If someone in your household is age 60 or older, or you have an annual household income of less than $74,950, you may qualify for a free energy assessment and home energy improvements, such as insulation and air sealing. Sign up today to lower your energy bills, increase comfort, and reduce energy waste at home. The waning of the Omicron surge of COVID-19 continues as the Virginia Department of Health reports a seven-day average of positive PCR tests of 9.6%, below 10% for the first time since December 21st. Caseloads are still high, with a seven-day average of 2,423 new cases a day. Today, the Blue Ridge Health District reports another 168 new cases. Deaths associated with the Omicron surge continue to be recorded. As of today, there have been 401 total COVID deaths in the Blue Ridge Health District and 18,230 statewide over the past 23 months. This week, the State Corporation Commission is holding two meetings on a petition from Lumen Technologies to take over control of CenturyLink. Among the public comments submitted so far is the Albemarle County Board of Supervisors, who sent a letter on February 10th summarizing concerns they made to Lumen officials at a January 12th meeting. As part of the deal, the new company would acquire copper-based assets, and the county wants to make sure that service continues. Here's a bit from that letter. Many of our vulnerable communities live in the rural areas of our county, where topography and distance often preclude cellular coverage, For these residents, this copper plant is a vital lifeline for accessing 911 service, particularly during and after severe weather events. The letter also includes dozens of complaints about CenturyLink service for terrible and ineffective customer service and for a lack of maintenance of older equipment. For anyone interested in learning more, there is a whole repository of documents available for public review, including comments from Albemarle County Supervisors, the comments from the Albemarle Public, and Lumen's petition to the State Corporation Commission. 
The Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority will hold a public hearing next Monday on the issuance of up to $23 million in bonds that would be used by a California-based company to redevelop Midway Manor. In January, the property sold for $16.5 million, more than double its 2022 assessment of $7.5 million. According to a legal notice published in the Daily Progress, the new company has requested that the CRHA issue up the exempt facility bonds to assist the applicant in financing or refinancing a portion of the costs of acquiring, constructing, renovating, rehabilitating, and equipping an age-restricted affordable housing development to be known as Midway Manor Apartments to consist of 94 one-bedroom units and four two-bedroom units. The notice states in capital letters that taxpayer funds will not be sought to pay back any of the debt that Standard Midway Manor Venture LP will incur. To learn more about exempt facility bonds, visit the Legal Information Institute at the Cornell Law School site, and there's a link for that in the newsletter. Since February 1st, Midway Manor is now under the management of the Franklin Johnston Group. Financing of the houses is provided by the U.S. Department of Housing through the Section 8 program, which bases rents on the income of tenants. In an email to me this morning, CRHA Executive Director John Sales said his agency's only role will be to issue the bonds. We are in the season when providers of affordable housing are preparing applications for low-income housing tax credits in advance of a March deadline. Summaries have been sent to the agency formerly known as the Virginia Housing Development Authority, and that has required notifications to localities. Piedmont Housing Alliance is seeking credits for 30 rental units at the Monticello Area Community Action Property on Park Street. These will be four one-bedroom units, 22 two-bedroom units, and four three-bedroom units. The Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority seeks credits from the Housing Authority pool for 60 credits for Phase 1A of the 6th Street redevelopment, with half of them being one-bedroom and the other half being two-bedroom units. This is separate from Phase 1 of the 6th Street redevelopment, for which CRHA is seeking credits from the Housing Authority pool for 44 units, with 8 of them with one-bedroom, 22-bedroom units, and 16 three-bedroom units. CRHA is also seeking credits for 113 units in the second phase of redevelopment of South 1st Street. These would replace existing units and would consist of 19 one-bedroom units, 38 two-bedroom units, 26 three-bedroom units, 15 four-bedroom units, and 15 with more than four bedrooms. Last week, the company that is constructing the development of Friendship Court issued a press release announcing the groundbreaking from January. The firm Harkins is based in Columbia, Maryland. Here's a section from the release. Friendship Court's redevelopment will be the largest construction of low-income housing for the area in over 20 years. A multi-phased project, Phase 1 will consist of 106 units with buildings 1 and 2 totaling 35 stacked townhome-style units, while Building 3 will include a one-level structured parking garage and three levels as a wood-framed center corridor apartment building. The project is being built to passive house standards and will be Harkin's third such project. The next new information in Charlottesville's rewrite of the zoning code won't be available until mid-April, 
when staff and the firm Roadside and Harwell will publish a document with an inventory of the existing housing stock versus what could be built under the new future land use map. This will take the form of a diagnosis report and an approach report. In the meantime, the city and the Seville Plans Together team has published a new page on the website to provide an education on what the zoning process is all about. Here's a section. Today's zoning also has a number of flaws and barriers to development, previously identified by city planning staff, elected and appointed officials, and others. This process is an opportunity to cure these flaws and remove the barriers to the kind of development that is described in the updated comprehensive plan. In January, a group of anonymous Charlottesville property owners filed suit in Charlottesville Circuit Court seeking to overturn the validity of the comprehensive plan. You can read more about that in a story I wrote on January 12, 2022 on the lawsuit that was in Charlottesville Community Engagement. Now it's on Information Seville. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported public service announcement, the Charlottesville Jazz Society at seavillejazz.org is dedicated to the promotion, preservation, and perpetuation of all that jazz. And this Sunday, the Society is sponsoring the return of Jane Bunnett and her all-female band from Cuba, Makeke. A concert will be held at 7 p.m. at Unity of Charlottesville, where Makeke will play music from their latest release, On Firm Ground, Tierra Firme. Get tickets online with discounts for students or members of the Charlottesville Jazz Society. You can become a member at seavillejazz.org. Two more segments today, one local, one state. Last July, the Albemarle Board of Supervisors adopted a housing plan that seeks to increase the number of units guaranteed to be rented or sold below the market rate. Housing Albemarle was adopted without a system of incentives to developers to keep those prices lower than they otherwise would be. A draft proposal came back to the Board of Supervisors on February 16th. Albemarle Housing Coordinator Stacy Pethia has suggested creation of an overlay district in the zoning code that would allow for reduced fees and other waivers in exchange for creating lower-priced units. We did engage with developers, um, and we had four meetings with developers between June and October of last year. During the first two meetings, staff listened to developer concerns and discussed housing policy goals. Based on that feedback, uh, feedback collected during those meetings um, and research into incentive programs implemented in uh, localities within Virginia and across this country, staff developed a list of potential incentives that could be in a package. The overlay would be restricted to Albemarle's development areas and would be optional, meaning developers would not have to participate. If they did, there would be the possibility of many ways their bottom line could be assisted. They would offer a bonus density, reduction in building permit fees, and flexibility and design and parking standards. The overlay would also allow developers to bypass the zoning process in some places if they build to the maximum density allowed in the comprehensive plan. 
At a minimum, 20% of units would need to be kept below market rate at levels identified in Housing Albemarle. And the number of affordable units to be required will be calculated prior to applying the debt ceiling bonus. This would provide developers with additional market rate units to help offset the cost of making the affordable units available. The incentive plan would also address a gap in Albemarle's current policy by creating a waiting list of people who would qualify for below-market opportunities based on their income. It's really difficult to market the affordable units to income-qualified households, um, and that's really an important issue. It it has meant that many of our uh, for-sale units in particular have turned market rate without being purchased by income-qualified households. In public comments before the discussion, Neil Williamson of the Free Enterprise Forum wanted waivers for affordable housing projects to be mandatory rather than at the discretion of staff. The reality is Albemarle's fast diminishing development areas have parcels easiest developed have been developed. That means parcels left to develop will likely require special use permits. While the policy anticipates this reality, the option for staff denial is too great. Williamson also said he wanted more robust incentives, such as expansion of the development area, as well as the county paying the hookup fees to the Albemarle County Service Authority for water and sewer. Considering the import of affordable housing to the community, certainly providing $20,000 per affordable unit is not too much to ask. That would be expensive to the county. Pepia said the recent approval of Premier Circle, Rio Point, and RST residences created 414 below-market units. If the developers were to be 100% reimbursed, that would cost the county $5.6 million. Supervisors were asked if they supported the idea of an overlay. Supervisor B. Lepisto-Kirtley said she did, but she did not want to expand past a certain area. I, for one, don't want to see development go into the rural areas. I want to keep development in the development areas. Supervisor Chair Donna Price said there will come a point in time when the boundary will need to be adjusted, but not yet. And already we're at the point where we we either have to fill in more, build up higher, or we have to expand the development area. So it is important for community members to understand we have to look at ways to try and achieve all of our objectives, which includes, as long as possible, limiting the amount of the development area. Price was also skeptical of reducing parking standards at this time. We do not have a comprehensive transportation system that can get everyone throughout the community, everywhere they need to go. Supervisors approved the Rio Point rezoning on 27 acres in late December, which will see a total of 328 units in an apartment complex on land that is currently undeveloped. That's in the Rio District, which is represented by Supervisor Ned Galloway. He had looked at the draft calculation for bonus density and asked this question of Stacy Pethia. All right, so Rio Point, if, if I'm understanding the, the answer, would have had 1,300 units allowed the way the math was done? That is correct. That would be based on provisions in other programs that grant a 45% increase in density based on the grossed density. The actual calculations would change as the incentive package is further tweaked. Galloway suggested having the overlay apply only in certain parts of the development areas, such as those already identified in small area plans, such as the Rio Road plan. However, he added he is not opposed to any ideas at this point in the development of the incentives. 
Supervisor Jim Andrews said he wanted staff to take a deeper look into the results that have happened in other communities that have created developer incentives. I would really be interested in hearing more about looking not only at what they're doing, but how successful they are at what they're doing. So Loudoun County's uh, proposals, for example, their, their, their program, I guess, has been in place long enough to have a little bit of a history. It, it looks to me like it's having some success. Um, you know, those are the ones we want to emulate if we can. Supervisor Ann Malik said she needed more information and for more detail. And I'm very concerned about an overlay that applies to every piece of dirt because there's great difference between the capability of one lot versus another to actually accomplish something and have a product where people would want to live. Staff will return to the board with more information at a later date, but Supervisor Galloway pointed out that the package's adoption will take until after the one-year anniversary of the adoption of Housing Albemarle. With just over three weeks to go, action is moving fast in the General Assembly. With bills that passed in one house with a close partisan vote, now meeting their fate in committee meetings in the other. Let's review some recent action in the Senate. The Senate Commerce and Labor Committee killed a bill yesterday to cap the minimum wage at $11 an hour. The vote was 11 to 4. That committee also defeated a bill to not move forward with subsequent increases mandated by a previous General Assembly. That vote was 12 to 3. A bill to allow employers to pay less than the minimum wage if they have fewer than 10 employees was also defeated, 12 to 3. Bills to restrict collective bargaining by public employees were also defeated. There's links to four of those in the newsletter. The Senate Committee on Education and Health ended consideration of a bill that would have made it easier for school boards to dismiss new teachers by extending probationary periods. The Senate Judiciary Committee defeated a bill that would have reduced penalties for violating the state's concealed weapon laws. That was on a 10-5 vote. On an 8-7 vote, the Senate Rehabilitation and Social Services Committee ended consideration of a bill that would have required the parole board to review the transcript of the trial for each incarcerated person up for parole. There will be plenty more action as the General Assembly turns. And that's the sound that indicates that this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement is about to be turned off. Thank you again for listening, and thanks for putting up with all of the detail here. There is a lot of detail, and that's why I write it. I write it to get it down so others can maybe see, and maybe we can all follow along together. There's a Rolling Stones song in there someplace. I am Sean Tubbs, the host of this program, and if you would like to support it, you can travel to infoseville.com and click on the Support the Info button for lots of different ways ways you can support the program. Probably the most easiest way to do that is to subscribe through Substack. And if you do, the company Ting will match that amount. There has been an incredible outpouring of support the last few days. So I really do appreciate that. And thank you so much. I will be back in the near future, hopefully tomorrow with another installment of the program. Until then, stay dry. Thanks for listening.